I have to confess I'm a little nervous to preach today's sermon because I'm going to do something I've never done before. <laughs> I, normally I like to preach sermons that are you know, marked by a good sense of Calvinist logic. And, and today's, today's sermon is my first intentionally non-linear sermon. So, uh, and Anne said I should celebrate, my wife Anne said I should celebrate that by not standing behind the pulpit. So here I am. You know, I spent most of last week at the Abbey of New Clairvaux. It's a, it's a Trappist monastery in Tehama County. And in w- what I wanted to do in my sermon today is I wanted to, to share a bit about what that was like for me. And so I decided to do this uh, by, by doing what I'm doing now, this thing that I've never done before. Generally speaking, monks gather for prayer seven times a day. And my intention was to pray with these monks at every office vigil, which starts at 3.30 in the morning, and, and lauds and mass, which is at 6.30 in the morning, and terrace at 9 in the morning, sext at noon, known at 2.35, vespers at 5.45, and compline at 7.30. And in lieu of writing a sermon, I decided to keep a journal with one entry for each of the seven offices of prayer every day. And I decided, as I wrote these entries in my journal, I decided to do so keeping in mind today's lesson from 1 Corinthians. In particular, that verse, that line which says, God has chosen the foolish or simple things of the world to shame the wise. Now, the journal itself ended up being way too long, and so I'm not reading every entry, but I will read most of the entries. And these range from a couple of sentences long to several paragraphs long. I even threw in a poem at one point, and they don't flow logically one from the other, but I do hope that by the end of this sermon, you will get a sense for what I did over the last week, and that in the process, I can impart some of my reflections on what it means for God to have chosen the foolish things in the world, the simple things in the world, to shame the wise. And so I also need to give you a few other notes about what I was doing. For the most part, I was silent during the week, except when I was participating in the prayers and at meals. There were a few exceptions, but that was the plan. Also, the Abbey Church itself played a role in my spiritual experience there, and the Abbey Church uh, is a funny building. And, and I want to explain by saying it's, it's three conjoined buildings that make a beautiful whole. The baptismal font is in an entirely modern section of the church, which is like a large narthex or foyer, and it's made mostly of glass, uh, and it was built in the last decade, and it's, um, it looks out over orchards and vineyards. And next to that, next to this modern glass building, is a, uh, a similarly new imitation or, 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 or replica of an old church, um, that serves as a sanctuary. It's got a cinder block walls and wooden ceiling, and visitors like me get to sit in this part of the church during prayer alongside a stone altar and a Victorian tracker organ. And next to the main sanctuary is the vaulted Gothic arch chapter house from the Abbey of Santa Maria de Ovila in Torillo, northwest of Madrid in Spain. Now, what that's doing there is that William Randolph Hearst purchased these stones still standing and paid someone to take them apart. He shipped them from Spain to San Francisco, where for years... They sat unreassembled in Golden Gate Park. In the 90s, the city of San Francisco gave the stones to the Abbey of New Clairvaux where they have been reassembled and attached to a church with three different yet somehow coherent architectural styles. Now the monks pray apart from the visitors in this ancient part of the church, which some people say is the oldest church, oldest building west of the Mississippi in the United States. Now, I've been to the Taos Pueblo, so I don't think they're right, but still... (laughs) 
old is old. And in modern California, a lot of us think that what is old is foolish. Something to be replaced with the up-to-date. Something to be dismissed as ignorant, oppressive. Something to be reinvented. Yet I'm keenly aware that God has chosen the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. The weak things to shame the wise, shame the strong. And one should never underestimate what is old. Whether that's buildings, or people, or religion. Anyway, here is my... Here is my diary, and we'll start with Monday Vespers. After Vespers, I ate dinner with my fellow guests. Walt is a retired National Park Service employee from the Eastern Sierra. His hands betray a life of hard work. Jaime was born in Zacatecas, raised in L.A., and now lives in Brooklyn, where he works as a museum educator. He has been here for a few months, and he wears a gray habit and works in the vineyards with the brothers and sits in the ancient parts of the Abbey Church during prayers, but he's never been into the cloister. And that's true for the other table mate, John. He's an organic farmer from Half Moon Bay. He's 26 years old, considering becoming a Trappist, and he's here getting a sense of the place. The place is more important than the community, he told me. Communities change, but places remain the same. Vigil Tuesday. The alarm went off at 3.15, and in the process of silencing that awful noise, I spilt a glass of water all over the bedside table. I stumbled and fumbled and got dressed and walked out into the darkness, serenaded by the wind rustling the oleander shrubs and the monastery orange trees. The crescent moon was swinging between the clouds, and when I got into the church and ready for prayer, I noticed my fly was open. It's a good thing God does not reject the foolish things of the world. Sext Tuesday. At the hours of prayer, I've been impressed by one monk in particular. He's tall and thin, with piercing eyes, a bald head, and a beard that would be the pride of any hipster in the Temescal. He looks imposing in his habit, especially in the night offices, when he watches us through the gloaming as we enter the church. At midday prayer with daylight in the Abbey Church, I noticed that his shoes didn't match, as if perhaps I'm not the only one who struggles to get up and get dressed at 3.30 in the morning. Over lunch, John asked me if I was proud of my children. The way he asked me made me worry that he may, might be uncertain of his own parents' pride in him, like maybe they haven't yet heard or have not yet come to believe that a vocation into an ancient way of life is exactly the kind of foolishness that might save the world in these troubled modern times. Known Tuesday. After the fifth office, I walked into the town of Vina, which abuts the Abbey property. It is a place that calls to mind the extent to which our economy overlooks those who work the agricultural jobs that enable the rest of us to eat. Train tracks run through Vina, but they do, not, they, they do little to connect Vina to the world beyond the orchards and the vineyards that surround the town. An old station house remains along the tracks, a reminder that Vina once merited the stoppings of trains, but today the station is beautiful, it's a bit dilapidated, and it has long since been converted into someone's home. In Vina's rundown community park, there is a monument to the mostly forgotten, most famous person ever to have passed through the town of Vina. In 1911, a man who had been hiding from the genocidal ways of European Californians got arrested in nearby Orville well, for being in Orville while a Native American, and no one knew his name. 
In his culture, a person didn't say his or her name, and everyone who once knew this man's name was now dead. So folks called the man Ishi because Ishi means man in the language he spoke. Ishi lost most of his family in a massacre, and the rest of his family died from exposure to the elements. By the time of his arrest, Ishi had been hiding in the hills, living in a cave for something like 30 years. During that time, Californians of European descent murdered more than 200,000 Native Americans. That's about 80% of California's indigenous population. It was a genocide of unthinkable proportions and of all the people in all of the nations and tribes who for untold millennia had been living in California before and after contact with Europeans. When Ishii passed through Vina, he was the last person living culturally as his ancestors had lived. A few anthropologists heard about Ishii, got excited, and put Ishii on a train at the Vina station. They sent him to San Francisco where he could be studied, but somewhere, maybe in Vina, Ishii contracted tuberculosis and he died five years later, taking with him his language, his culture, his way of knowing God. He made friends in the city and he taught folks some important things about the ways of his people, but never once did anyone ever learn his name. Vespers, Tuesday. The wind has shifted and suddenly the air is sweet like a promise of orange blossoms that will arrive in the spring or a down payment on the oleander flowers that come summertime will adorn the hedge along the road leading to the abbey church. At dinner, we, ex- we find excuses to stay at table. We talk about Buddhism, vocation, hot sauce, St. Augustine, and the digestive benefits of fermented beet juice. Not once did we check our phones or ask Siri to confirm our assumptions. We lingered over chamomile tea till it was time to get ready for prayer. Vigil Wednesday. Apparently my skills in the use of modern technology aren't sufficient for me to be able to set an alarm clock for 3.30 in the morning. Good thing I don't have a plane to catch. Lauds and Mass Wednesday. At Lauds, one of the brothers read some words about humility from the rule of St. Benedict. At breakfast, I spilt my coffee. That was the second spill in as many days, and of course, I felt foolish. St. Paul says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, as if that's a good thing. Right now, I'd rather let the wise be in charge. Fewer messes to clean up. I know enough about what's going on in Washington to suspect that indeed the foolish things of the world have confounded the wise. And if that's what Paul was trying to celebrate in his letter to the Corinthians, then he was nuts. Sext Wednesday. Walt took me on a walk down to the railroad tracks and out by the river behind the cloisters. Along the way, we saw a great horned owl high up in a redwood tree. Like me, the redwood is a transplant from the other sides of the western mountains. I assume the owl is local. It seemed an odd time for an owl to be out and about, but then Walt and I have been getting up to pray at 3.30 in the morning, or trying to anyway. So who are we to judge the owl's wakefulness? The owl fluffed its feathers and sang out his famous song, Who, who? Good question, Brother Owl. I'm not sure I know the answer anymore, but keep asking. Perhaps Sunday I'll have a response worthy of the inquiry. Known Wednesday. I arrived late to the two o'clock hour of prayer and found the sanctuary filled with students from a nearby high school. During the prayers, they fidgeted, flirted, and looked embarrassed because they did not know what was going on. But after prayers, a monk named Luis talked to the group, telling them about his vocation. 
Luis is the community's organist, and he's from Fresno. His speech is flavored with a Chicano lilt. I first came to this monastery when I was 19, he told the now attentive teenagers who, were, who probably weren't expecting a monk to talk like they did. And I didn't know how to pray, he said, so I just sat quietly, and in the silence, I knew, I felt as if I was nothing. But I also knew God could do something with my nothingness. That was 17 years ago. Ten years ago, Luis took the vows of a Trappist. I knew God wanted me to do nothing for a living, he said. Nothing for the rest of my life. Nothing but pray and be in silence on behalf of the church and the world. I left the church and I walked out to the edge of the Abbey's property and back. The place is huge. I think I was walking for more than an hour through rows and rows of walnut and prune trees. Orchard block after orchard block. And the Abbey is only one farm among many in this part of California. People from cities think places like this are in the middle of nowhere, even while enjoying fudge with walnuts on them and and drinking Dr. Pepper, which used to be made from prune juice. It turns out it takes a lot of nowhere to keep the world well supplied with nuts and soda. The world also seems to need a lot of nothing from Luis and his brothers to stay in balance. Lately, I'm pretty sure we haven't had enough of nothing. Compline on Wednesday. Liturgically, my favorite time of the day happens at the end of Compline when the monks file out of the ancient part of the church through the ancient modern sanctuary and into the fully modern baptistry where they stand between the font and the statue of the Madonna and child. They sing a song that bids goodnight to the Blessed Virgin and then the abbot sprinkles each of us with a drop or two of holy water. It feels very pagan and sweet. A gathering of Christian men singing a lullaby to the mother of God who also is the mother goddess, and and they sing as if she's their sister or their niece. And like several of the brothers, this Madonna does not have white skin. She was inspired by Our Lady of Isenden in Switzerland, and she she is what iconographers call a black Madonna. She's carved of wood and painted black. She challenges the faithful to remember that God isn't the exclusive property of those who have European ancestry. Together we say goodnight to the Blessed Virgin, to her son, and to each other as blessed with holy water from the font. We enter into the great silence and into the holiness of the night. Vigil Thursday. Somewhere along the way, I must have figured out how to use an alarm clock because I made it to the vigil service at 3.30 in the morning. Besides being at the time of night when most reasonable people are asleep, the vigil is the longest of the offices. I lost track of how many psalms we chanted, how many prayers we said, how many times we bowed to the altar. Whereas most of the offices of prayer last 15 or 20 minutes, After 45 minutes of the vigil, the monks spread out through the church for 20 minutes more of meditation. I did my best to join in the meditation, but I started to fall asleep, and I figured that if I was going to be asleep anyway, bed was a better place to do that. (laughs) I will say that mine wasn't the only empty chair at, at vigil. The abbot is out of town on business, and they say that when the abbot is away, the monks play. Or at least they sleep. Terse Thursday. Out beyond the abbey walls, the president is on trial in the Senate. The the United Kingdom is enjoying its last full day as a member of the European Union. A global pandemic is brewing in China. Democratic hopefuls are sprinting down the final stretch in Iowa. And the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are unpacking boxes in British Columbia. Here the big news is that Brother Luis, who was awake enough to play the organ at vigils, has missed both lauds and turfs. We also heard of a news of a young man named Drew, a Buddhist who's attracted to monasticism and has considered joining the community, but it's hard to be a Trappist if you aren't also a Catholic. So Drew, and this is the news, 
Drew went into the hills and found a cave and is living as a hermit according to the rules of his do-it-yourself spirituality, which is the most American kind of religion. At breakfast, we wondered if perhaps Drew had found the cave where Ishi lived before hunger drove him out of the hills and into the city by way of the Vina train station. Sext Thursday. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's how each prayer service ends here among the Trappists. It's something I've said 20 times so far this week. And after 20 prayer services in the big church and several visits to a smaller chapel for personal prayer, I could not return to a building for prayer. I wanted to climb a tree or perhaps go down to the river and skip some stones. Climbing a tree seemed easier. I had seen a massive sycamore out by an abandoned hermit's cabin. The tree bends low, making it an easy climb to about 15 feet off the ground, which is where I ended up praying, as I'm sure the hermits must have prayed, up in a tree, looking down at the holy seclusion of the place. From my prayerful perch, I saw a trail leading toward the river, and when I climbed down, I decided to see where it led. The trail's mud bore footprints from deer and raccoons, but as far as I could tell, no human soul had left a mark here, at least not since the last major rainfall. So I followed in the way of my sisters and brothers who walk on four feet, and I came to a beach that was perfect for skipping rocks. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Known Thursday. While walking through the orchard, I scared up a jackrabbit who was hiding under a pile of recently pruned branches. He, in turn, scared me as he scampered out into the safety of the walnuts. Why do we scare each other, brother jackrabbit? I mean no harm, no more harm to you than you mean to me. We are both children of the Holy One. I'd rather keep your company than send you startled and startling into the groves. Vespers Thursday. Drew had come out of his cave, out of the mountains, and joined us for Vespers. He was dressed in the robes of a Buddhist monk, but participating in the prayers Brother Luis, meanwhile, was back at the organ for Vespers, which was a relief ever since Jaime alerted me to his absence from louds, terse, sex, and known. My imagination was running wild. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he just got tired of showing up for prayer. Or maybe, maybe one of the high school students who came to visit the Abbey yesterday reminded him of his first love, and he walked down the road, maybe hitching a ride out of Vina because the train doesn't stop here anymore. Maybe he made it all the way to Fresno by now, and he was back in his old neighborhood asking after the one who stole his heart, for whom he was willing to give up the monastic life, the comforts of prayer, and the joy of doing nothing to the glory of God. But according to John, Luis had been over in Corning taking a class on how to use pesticides safely. <laughs> As if you can use pesticides safely, John said, and he sat down to join us for dinner. There was no word on whether or not Drew had found Ishi's cave. Compline Thursday. I'm back in my room observing the great silence for the last time this week. I'm glad I came. Glad I shared a table with Walt, Jaime, and John. Glad I prayed with the monks. Glad I walked through the orchards down by the river and into Vina where the train no longer stops. I'm also glad this is my last night. I'm eager to be home with my family and in my house. I hope I can come back, perhaps in a different season, maybe when the sun is relentless and the ancient stones of the Abbey Church are cool, Maybe in the heat of August, I'll walk down to the river to skip stones and I'll lie down in the water and the current will carry my prayers over rocks and through reeds and around the bend to where God surely awaits, maybe disguised as a deer or a raccoon or a jackrabbit or a great horned owl. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God.